one of the biggest mistakes is really just picking the tool for the issue you're having right at that moment in time without really a consideration for how it's going to interact with all the rest of the tools that you're using, because really the best systems operate like an ecosystem. Welcome to Break the Ceiling, the show where we help agencies and consultants bust through self-imposed growth ceilings by shoring up their operations and increasing their capacity. I'm Susan Bowles. I'm your growth architect to help you build the systems that you need to double your revenue and lower your stress. Hello, 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 and welcome to Break the Ceiling. Today, we're wrapping up our default decisions theme with a fun twist. I'll be in the hot seat getting interviewed. So this has been such a fun theme to cover. And in episode one, I talked to Tara McMullen at the What Works Network, which is a community and podcast for business owners, where we talk about what's working and what's not working in small businesses. And in the episode, we talked about how it's so easy to end up making decisions in your business that maybe you didn't realize you made or you didn't realize there were other options. And those are default decisions. So if you haven't listened to episode one yet, or really any of the episodes in the series so far, go check it out. So today, Tara is coming on the podcast to interview me, and we are talking about default decisions in software and technology. So this episode actually originally aired on Tara's podcast, What Works, but she has graciously allowed me to recut the episode and share it with you all here on Break the Ceiling. So in this episode, we talk about why and when you should review your software tools and how you can really use software to help automate your operations and address some operational capacity issues. And we also talk about the challenging work of implementing new software and how to make the change a little bit easier and more effective. So let's dive in. Susan Bowles, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited about this too. Okay, so you work with clients on helping them scale on helping them break through the ceiling, which we will talk about later. Um, You help them find additional capacity and operational efficiency in their businesses. And one way you do that is through software. And so that's what we're really going to be diving into today. But I wanted to kind of pull back first and look at the big picture and find out what do you find is typically standing between your clients and doubling or tripling or more their revenue? Often it's different aspects of kind of the same thing. So I work with folks kind of after they've already figured out how to sell whatever their thing is. And that's primarily service-based businesses. So consultants, agencies, people that are delivering a service to clients. And I work with them when they have basically sold more than they can actually deliver or they're at that point where they're like, oh, crap, I sold things. And now I'm sitting there with my hands going, I don't know what to do. So (laughs) that's kind of the point at which I end up starting to work with folks. And there's a lot of different causes, but usually they're they are related to decisions that are about process. So Sometimes it's like a bottleneck issue where the founder or the you know lead person is the decider of all the things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a person 
and a role issue. Sometimes it's a process in that they don't have a process or it's not repeatable or the process is really, really manual in that case. You know, it's a technology issue where we need to find something to either automate it or make it easier, more streamlined. Um, And sometimes it's just not having the right people to deliver the service. So it ends up being a lot of different things. And I find that decisions that you make really early on in your business really affect how you are able to either increase your capacity or scale. And those are things like, particularly in agencies, deciding to post pay. So having clients pay you after you've done the work. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing billing hourly and you want to have clients pay you on an hourly basis versus something like a value-based pricing or upfront or project-based pricing, you've created a workflow that you then need to address. So for example, if you are doing upfront pricing, you can use software to say, okay, great, here's my contract, press the button, give me your money, pay me, and we're done. And that's the workflow if you choose to do upfront pricing or value-based pricing. But if you choose to do something like post-pay pricing, well, now you have to track your hours, you have to have a methodology to invoice those, which is often very manual of let's go track all of the hours Mm -hmm. and put it in an invoice and send them the invoice. And then you have to wait for them to pay you because it's not usually auto pay. That's just one little example of something that you made a decision in terms of how you were pricing your services, basically, and how you wanted people to pay you. But by choosing to do post pay, you've created all of this other workflow that has to happen. And requiring that workflow to happen in order to get paid means that that's reducing your capacity to actually deliver your services. Yeah. Okay. Can I pause you right there? Because you mentioned like, these are choices that we made at the beginning. And I wonder how often, especially with your clients, do you see that those are actual intentional choices that were made or they were choices that were made because no choice was made? (laughs) So both. Okay. So sometimes it's you know, somebody got into consulting from their industry, and that's how their industry does it. For example, I was working with an agency that they're a digital marketing agency, and they calculate their management fee, which is pretty, you know, having a management fee is pretty normal, but they calculate it like backwards. So they calculate it off of the total, and they decided to do that because the founder started out in television and that's how they sell TV ads. (laughs) Okay. So like that's an example of sometimes there's a reason, but it's not necessarily a good reason. And sometimes it's because people just think that that's how you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. it. That's the prevailing wisdom and that's how you have to do it. So I think it's a combination of both. You know, everybody comes into their business from whatever their experience was before that. So if you come in from a corporate world, you come in with the constructs of that's how you're supposed to do it versus if you come in like from an agency, agencies have really specific ways that they do business. Like there's a lot of industry standards Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily good for capacity or efficiency or, but that's just the way that everything that they've always done it. So that's how that founder, when they go out on their own, comes in 
and how they choose to work unless they do something like ask around or research value-based pricing or project-based pricing or and that's just i think when you're starting out you don't know what you don't know yeah. so you don't know to ask or to go research so i think sometimes it's it's both okay that makes a lot of sense <laughs> all right so you say like right on your website one of the things you help your clients with is operational capacity problems and i think we probably have an idea of what that is from some of the things that you just described. But I would love for you to define for us what is an operational capacity problem? And why doesn't just hiring more people fix it? Operational capacity is basically, you know, you have too much work to be able to deliver, or you're really, really overwhelmed, you're working weekends, you're working all the time to be able to deliver the work that you've promised to clients or you've sold. It comes out in a lot of different ways, like we kind of talked about, but there's a lot of different areas where that can affect your business. Mm -hmm. So the easiest definition is that it's basically you can't deliver your work or you're at the ceiling of where you can deliver effective work. Um, so stuff starts falling through the cracks. You know, you sell stuff and you're like, oh, we can't start it for like three months or <laughs> you sell it and just go, I have no idea how we're going to deliver this. And that's what an operational capacity problem feels like. Sometimes it's, you know, finance people. Sometimes it's project management people. How that's expressed in your business comes out in different ways. But a lot of it comes down to you just don't have the resources to deliver what you need to deliver. Gotcha. I think a lot of people are familiar with this issue, right? And yeah. that's when they go out and they try to hire a virtual assistant or they try to hire they try and hire someone to do their social media for them so that they can free yep. up that little bit of capacity that they're spending on Instagram or whatever it might be. But over and over and over again, I know I've seen and I'm sure you've seen that hiring more people doesn't actually fix this problem. Why is that? So one, hiring more people is actually one of the most expensive and least effective ways to increase capacity. Mm. So, you know, common wisdom is, oh, go hire a VA and they will do things or go get a bookkeeper. And the reality is that a lot of those people are at a pretty entry level position. Mm -hmm. You know, they're people who go and take the instructions that you've given them and execute them. And it works really well if you have a solid process to deliver and you say, here's a checklist, follow this checklist. They're really good at that. But if you are operating without a checklist, which most of these, when you hit an operational capacity problem, I very rarely see it that people are like, here's our process, here's what we right. do, here's how it works. Like, that's just not the reality. <laughs> so then you've kind of created this construct of you have to then create documentation about how you do business in order to get those people that you've just hired to do that work for you. So you have to get what's in your brain into their brain and how you want them to do it. And then you've also created the issue that you need to supervise right. those people doing that work. So in actuality, instead of hiring somebody and handing it off, you're hiring somebody and then creating more work for yourself because you have to train them, you have to document your process, you have to make sure that they know what they're doing, you have to interview them. You know, there's all of these things that go into hiring a person. And from a financial perspective, hiring more people is literally the most expensive route you could go. And it's the hardest to cut back once you've made a bad decision. You know, it's really hard to say, we hired you, but we didn't mean to and we can't afford you now. So 
Sorry. Yeah. You know, that's a really <laughs> versus using something like software. There's a lot of operational behind the scenes kind of things that can be automated, um, particularly on the financial side. Financial stuff is ripe for automation. Your bookkeeping is ripe for automation. Client setup, ripe for automation. And that's where technology, when you have a process that just has to be repeated and nobody needs to like make a decision, they just have to do it. That's where technology can really be very powerful. And it's also very inexpensive. So that if you use technology to kind of get rid of those easy to automate processes, then your people can be doing a lot higher value things with their time, talking directly to clients or making decisions. If there's a decision that needs to be made, you know, technology is not great for making decisions necessarily. That's why, you know, hiring more people often just creates, it makes the problem worse if you haven't put the foundations in place to allow you to actually scale. People are kind of the last piece of the puzzle. Once you've figured out your process, you've automated what you can, and you have something to hand them and the capacity to also supervise them doing those things. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about software. And I want to actually start with the mistakes that people make when they when they try to use software to expand their capacity, because I think there's probably a lot of people listening, and I have certainly been in this position, and I like to think I'm not in this position anymore, where our monthly credit card statements or our monthly bookkeeping statements are full of software as a service monthly fees. All the things that we bought or subscribed to because we thought they'd help us run our businesses better. But at the end of the day, we just have tons of logins and tons of bills for software. So what kind of mistakes do small business owners make when it comes to actually fixing those capacity problems with software? So I would say the first one is just generally picking the wrong software. Mm. So there's tons of choices out there. Like if you look at, let's do project management, because project management is one where it's like, I'm going to get a project management system and it's going to fix all of my problems. But that's only true if you get a project management system that works how you work. You know, there's many, many on the market and they all work in slightly different ways with slightly different assumptions and slightly different goals. So particularly, I see this come into play with businesses that serve clients, because that's an entirely different workflow than like a SaaS tool. Mm -hmm. So if you are running a SaaS company, you don't have to think about how are you going to get a contract to a client or how are you going to invoice them? How are you going to pay them? Like They just go on your website, they log in, they give you their credit card, and it just pays. There's no workflow associated with that. So you see a lot of the project management tools on the market don't have any interaction with any financial pieces, you know, tracking budgets or being able to track hours against costs, which is a really big focus. It's a big part of the workflow if you have a client services business. The project management piece is actually more client management for people who work with clients. Mm -hmm. But that's not how most project management systems are designed. So some of it comes from, are you using the software that's the right tool for the job and how you work? And some of those things you can balance out by making those decisions like we talked about early on. So if you decide, hey, I want to use a regular project management system, and I'm just going to do 
you know, upfront billing and contract, and I'll just use the software that sends them the contract, they pay me, and I'm done with it. Then you have a lot more flexibility in terms of what project management tools do you want to use? Versus if you're, you know, committed to post paying, you need a software tool that's going to manage those costs, that time, and allow you to bill that. Otherwise, you run into issue number two, which is picking software in isolation. Mm. So if you pick one tool at a time for the thing that that tool is best at, without really thinking about all of the other parts of your business ecosystem, you end up with silos of information that don't connect to each other. So oftentimes you'll see that with like, oh, we run stuff in Google Sheets. Well, Google Sheets is great, but it doesn't connect to, say, your CRM, for example. So sometimes you have to duplicate data or you have to manually enter from one place to another. So one of the biggest mistakes is really just picking the tool for the issue you're having right at that moment in time without really a consideration for how it's going to interact with all the rest of the tools that you're using, because really the best systems operate like an ecosystem where everything, all the data kind of flows back and forth between each of the different aspects of the system. So that is probably the biggest issue number two, because when you do that, and it's really easy to do that, particularly at the beginning when somebody's like, oh, you need email marketing, pick this one, or oh, you need project management, pick this one. And then you get into a situation where you have all of these different tools kind of either duct taped together or completely not connected. And you've created, again, another issue with operational capacity. You're spending time entering data in multiple places because when you're not connected, you can't really use automation to help you address those workflows. Yeah, it sounds like it's just another form of bottlenecking. Like you end up it is. you end up being the yeah. person that has to make the software talk to each other, right? <laughs> yes. So it's um, now you're not managing people, you're managing software. It still sucks. <laughs> well, and it's so easy to get a deal. You get an email that yeah. says, Hey, here's a Black Friday deal. Pick this software. And you're like, Oh, that sounds really great. I could totally use that. And so you buy the deal and since you didn't really think about where it went in your workflow or what you were going to do it with, or does is that functionality actually in one of the tools you're already using? You know, a lot of the times I'll see duplicate functionality of this tool actually does this, but you have this other tool that does it in a slightly different way and which one goes where, which creates a lot of confusion if you have a team particularly on where are we supposed to do this thing? Um, and it makes it hard, you know, to document process and onboard team members when you're like, oh, well, we send the contract here and then we have to manually put the invoice in here and then we're going to send them here and then we're going to chase them for 90 days until they pay us. It can quickly spiral out of control. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm sure that sounds very familiar. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not triggering anyone. Um, <laughs> okay, so I want to hear how you're actually kind of doing this for your clients and what that process actually looks like. And from everything that you've just described with the mistakes that people make with software, whether it's just picking the wrong software uh, from the get-go or picking software in isolation, it makes me think that when you start working with a client, there's probably some sort of auditing process that you go through to determine what are the needs here and how best can we fill them with software? So one, is that true? And two, can you kind of walk us through what that auditing process looks like? 
Sure. Yes, that's absolutely true. Yes. <laughs> um, because I find that even though businesses operate really similarly, you know, they're not cookie cutter. Everybody makes different decisions about how they run their business based off of either their experience or a particular reason. Sometimes there are really good reasons, like their clients won't do upfront pricing or their invoices are too big to accept credit cards. You know, sometimes there there are legitimate reasons for why they made the choices that they did. But it's also really difficult to say what software should you use or what decisions should you make about how you construct your ecosystem without actually having a really good understanding of their business and where they've been and what their specific challenges are. So yeah, every client that I work with starts with one of two different processes. One is the software side. It's called straighten the stack. And it's basically an audit. It's we sit down and you fill out a questionnaire. You tell me all of the things that you're using that you can remember, which is a different, <laughs> <laughs> that is different. You know, what challenges you're having? What do you love that you are currently using that you want to build a system around? Which ones do you hate? Why do you hate them? So we'll walk through kind of that interview process. And then one of the aspects of that that I always make sure that I get is I actually have everybody run a report out of their accounting system mm -hmm. that says, here's all the software that you paid for in the last year. That's not complete because a lot of people have free systems that they you know, they're not paying for. But oftentimes when I do the interview and I say, what are you using? they forget about half of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I find that the accounting system is actually one of the best systems of record, assuming that you have decent accounting and you're doing your bookkeeping, to actually track where have you spent money? What software have you spent money on in the last year? Which gives me a really good place to say, okay, this one does this functionality, this one does this functionality, this one does this functionality, and then I'll actually do a cost assessment. So how much are you spending per year on all of those tools? And I use that to compare with here's the recommended tools. And usually it ends up being a little bit cheaper because we can find a tool that does four or five of the different things that they've got individual tools using. So we streamline software, but also usually end up saving money unless they've, they're just running their system off of like Google Sheets, you know, so they're not paying anything, but we'll also if the data is available, sometimes it's not. Actually, oftentimes it's not because one of the things that they come to me is for the specific reason. But if there's time tracking data available, mm. I'll take a historical look at what have you actually spent time doing and try and do an estimate of how much time are you going to save by getting rid of these systems or being able to automate these pieces. Um, so that's kind of the, the walkthrough of how we do a software audit. And then at the end of that, they get, here's the recommended system with a system map that shows how they all connect and the cost assessment. So if you're doing your own, I recommend starting with your accounting software is the best source of data for what software you use, which is sort of, I think, unconventional, but it's the easiest place to get data. That's totally how I do it. <laughs> totally mm -hmm. how I do it. Because I know I pay for things every year. You pay for I, stuff. Yeah. Every year I look at, well, I was going to say I, I should do it more often than that, but I don't. I do it annually. Look at my uh, my software on my P&L and say, okay, what am, I, what am I paying for? What shouldn't be there anymore? And get rid of it. I don't do it from a systems perspective, though. It's more from a 
what am I actually what using you, perspective? Your costs. Yeah. yeah. But um, I love the idea of using that, kind of adding a second layer to that and saying, not only what aren't we using, but what aren't we using well? Like what doesn't what yes. doesn't really belong here? So I actually do have a tool that we can link to Ooh, in great. the show notes um, with a it's like a walkthrough of how to do a software audit. And then there's a tool that you can use to kind of rack and stack. And so we can link to that in the show notes. Yes, we will do that. Excellent. Okay, so once you've kind of done that audit and you understand this is what people are actually using and why, for good or for bad, what are the next steps to determining for you? Like, how do you approach the next steps to determining how you're going to make recommendations for switching things around or better utilizing even what someone has already? Some of it is just knowledge of what's available. I spend a lot of time testing out systems. And since I, I spend my life pretty much living in different project management systems and testing them out, I have a really good feel for what functionality is available where, which really influences my decisions. But some of the recommendations, what I look for is first, you know, functionality. Does it actually do the work that you need to do. So if you have to post pay, you know, if you're committed to post paying, can it do time tracking and invoicing? You know, is that part of the system or is it not? I'll look for data connections. So does this connect to other tools? And I will never recommend a tool that doesn't at least connect to Zapier, yeah. which is a automation platform that's used to basically connect different SaaS tools to each other. So if you're not familiar with Zapier, it's amazing and check it out. <laughs> but that's usually my first stop is I'll look at the Zapier shop. If I'm looking for something new, I'll mm. look and see what's got connections in Zapier. And the other one, the accounting system that I really, really love is called Zero XERO. And they have a really good app marketplace as well. Yeah. Um, Zero is an accounting tool that's basically built kind of from the ground up to connect to other tools. That was kind of their ethos is we're going to do accounting and we're going to connect to all the other stuff that you need to connect that to so that your accounting data can kind of be your hub. Um, and they have a really good app marketplace as well. So those are kind of the two places I'll start looking for what are some options. And then it gets into really the nitty gritty is almost always in the project management mm -hmm. workflow um, and how that works. So I tend not to deal a ton with the marketing side. So not so much on the funnel side or, you know, how are you going to set up your webinar? I can do those things, but that's not really where I focus. I focus on HR, um, financial stuff, project management, and how all of those things relate to actually being able to deliver services to a client. So we'll look at payroll system and how easy is the payroll? Does it connect to your accounting system? Can it automatically enter payroll to the accounting system? So I'll look at the like the level of integration, not just does it connect mm. to your other tools that we're recommending, but how well does it connect? So sometimes you'll get, oh, we integrate, which means we'll export a file that you can import to another <laughs> right. software system, um, which is not an integration, but a lot of software tools particularly the ones that are coming from like a desktop-based tool to a cloud-based tool. You know, if they're a desktop-first company and they're trying to build a cloud product, that's what they consider to be an integration. So that's always a red flag. <laughs> but also, even just in the how the Zapier integration works is, can you do the things that you want to mm -hmm. be able to do? 
the Zapier integrations and other integrations, you know, native integrations are designed based off of whoever designed the connection. So they've only allowed certain actions. And if the integration doesn't allow the action that you need to do, it's not actually going to help you. So those are kind of some of the things that I'm looking at when I'm evaluating different tools. Um, the other one that's big in project management systems is the project templates. Is there a, an ability to templatize either your checklist or your tasks or your projects? Because that can be a real time saver when you can say, here's the checklist for every time that we do this, particularly when you're getting into being able to kind of productize your services, not necessarily sell a productized service, but being able to say, here's the thing that we do. Here's how we deliver it every time. And when you get to kind of that point of the streamlining process, having a project management system that doesn't allow you to templatize those sorts of things can really be a huge issue. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you always have to add to the checklist every single time, all of your different tasks, even if you have an established process, not having a template that allows you to just say, okay, it's one of those, here you go. And then, you know, 10 seconds, have your project plan. That can be a big headache as well. So those are kind of some of the key features I'm always looking for. Awesome. Okay. So you kind of walked us through the auditing process now, and this sounds like the evaluation process that I would think would lead to then the implementation process. I know that switching software systems, no matter how promising one might be, <laughs> it can be a huge headache for people. And I think that it can be such a headache that people put it off and put it off and put it off. So what do you do with your clients to make implementing a new software system as painless as possible? Well, the easy answer is I do it for them. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and then they don't have to worry about it. But if you're going to do it yourself, some of the tools have good conversion. So depending on what you're coming from, your tool may have like an import functionality that will allow you to like just drag and drop. If you're coming from nothing, though, which is fairly common. And by nothing, I just mean like you don't have a project management system that you're working with or your workflow is not in some established commercial kind of tool. Mm -hmm. The first thing I recommend is sitting down and actually just writing your process. It's very overwhelming to think about utilizing new technology, but in reality, the technology is there to implement your process. You know, if you don't have a good process, no project management system in the world is going to help you do that because it doesn't know what to do. You have to tell it what to do. And, you know, the old adage is garbage in, garbage out. So mm -hmm. if you're not putting high quality information into your systems, you won't get high quality information out of the systems. That's the first part is really just having a clear idea of what is supposed to happen and who is supposed to do that. That's really all it has to be in terms of the first step of switching systems. Awesome. Get really clear on why why you're switching and then think about the the piece that often gets missed. You know, the actual switching of the systems is actually really not the hardest part. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is, you know, just taking data from one place and putting it in another and making decisions about how you're going to categorize data or how you're going to organize it. That's not really the hardest part. The part that I find that always gets missed, particularly if you have a team, is communicating 
Uh, that yeah. to your team. And it really can't be underestimated how much you need to communicate, particularly if you have done a lot of software switching. You know, if you've chased after the shiny bells and whistles and you're like, this is the next thing that's going to save us. And you've switched and you've done that to your team a few times, they lose trust that you're going to stick with the system. And then they stop caring about learning it. They stop caring about trying to actually follow you in your chasing of the shiny objects, basically. The transition of the actual system is the smallest piece of it. The biggest piece is figure out your process and have a clear understanding of what that looks like and make sure you have a plan to communicate your, to your team. You know, what is the timeline? What's the goal of this? How is this going to help them do their jobs better? So a lot of the times the software comes down from, you know, whatever management at whatever level says, I need a tool. And usually it's to help them get better data out of their system, right? Mm -hmm. To have more analytics, more data about how they are working to be able to make better decisions, which is huge. And I love that I'm all about data-driven decision-making. But your team doesn't have the same priorities. They don't really care if you're making data-driven de decision-making. They care about, is this going to help them do their job? And will it help them be more efficient or will it help them have a clearer picture of what they are supposed to do? So I always recommend have a really clear communication plan and make sure you're telling people why it's why it should be important to them. Um, so those are actually the biggest pieces of when I work with a client. The smallest piece is actually turning on the triggers and the setting up the integrations and moving data from one system to another. That's all pretty straightforward normally. Mm -hmm. It's actually the all the other pieces that are outside of the technology. Yeah. I'm so glad you pointed that out. That That's really huge. <laughs> um, you know, I know that because we've switched software systems multiple times over the last 10 years, you know, I know that it's not a small task to go through the it's checklist not. and, you know, switch those things over. But I think you're exactly right. I mean, just it's knowing the process, it's being able to implement the process and the software. And then that communication piece, it's so huge. So, so, so huge, which I think leads us pretty well to where I want to start wrapping things up, which is around the mindset challenges that come from bumping into these operational capacity problems that come from trying to squeeze your genius into a <laughs> software system. So what are some of those mindset challenges that you've encountered with business owners when it comes to switching up their systems, implementing new software, just finding ways to increase their capacity? I think some of it comes from not really having the big picture in mind, you know, everybody feels like, oh, switching, switching software is going to be a huge headache and it's time consuming and it, I just don't have time. And not really realizing that, you know, the adage slow down to speed up is a real thing. And it taking a few hours to write down your process, or a lot of times I'll use the word framework because they don't necessarily like the word process, right. particularly if they are creative people. They there's a lot of resistance around the word process. So a lot of the times I'll just, you know, it's just a checklist. It's just uh, we're making decisions and we're going to use this. And I try and avoid the word process. But in reality, it's a you decide what the process is. 
And then you don't have to decide that anymore. So that's one. It's just a resistance to taking the time to decide how you want to do what you need to do. Because you only have to decide it once. Mm -hmm. So the benefit is you can save a whole bunch of time if you don't have to decide every time this thing comes up how you're going to handle it. You decide what it is one time, you write out the process, you put that into your system, whichever system you're using, and that becomes your documentation and it enforces that process. So you don't have to make that decision anymore. Once you've decided how the project gets set up, it gets set up the way that, that way the same time you turn on your template, new template, done, and you know, in 10 seconds you've started that next project. So one of it is just the idea that it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and you don't really have to do it all at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. this switching software systems is a great opportunity to actually make some active decisions in your business about, you know, why are you doing things this way? So a lot of what I do with clients is, okay, great. Why are you doing that? Why do you need to do that? What is, you know, what's the reasoning behind that? Does that still apply? You know, your business is your business changes over 10 years, your business is going to change probably a lot for most people. And decisions that you made at the beginning may not necessarily be the right decision for your business as it is now. I think the biggest mindset is just this is super overwhelming. And I don't have time to deal with it when really, you know, if you set aside an hour, pick one little aspect of I'm going to decide how I how I onboard a client and I'm going to write out how I onboard a client. Well, that only takes you about half an hour. But if you do that the one time and you spend half an hour, then every time you onboard a client, you don't have to do that. You don't have to decide it. And you've saved a half an hour every time you work with a new client. Um, so I think being able to break it down into chunks of small pieces of the process and address that one small chunk at a time, it doesn't have to be a huge, all-consuming kind of switch. Yeah, absolutely. Susan, I am incredibly thankful for everything you've shared with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. I had a ton of fun talking to Tara here. If any of the issues we talked about during the episode are something that you're struggling with and would love some help on, reach out. Just head to the website at scalespark.co. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. If you found this valuable, I would love for you to subscribe in your favorite podcast platform and share it with at least one person that you know that might benefit from it. <laughs>